Hello, and welcome to Access Advantage Season 3, Episode 4, Expanded Player's Guide Review Part 2, Specialization Trees. Today's episode is going to open with a short discussion on the signature spell talent, which has been a question in the community as of late. But the main topic is going to be all about specialization trees. As uh, described in the EPG Part 3, Chapter 2, starting on um, page 102. Hello everyone, and since we are trying to keep to a shorter episode length, I'm just going to go ahead and jump right into everything. First thing I want to talk about is there has been a bit of confusion in the community as of late in regards to the signature spell talent. Um, specifically, does it interact with implements, and if it does, how? And so uh, hopefully I'll be able to give you a concise explanation for how it all works together. So the signature spell talent is found on page 89 of Realms of Terranoth, tier 2, passive, non-ranked. When your character gains this talent, decide on a signature spell for them, consisting of a particular magic action and a specific set of one or more effects. When your character casts their signature spell, consisting of the exact combination of actions and effects previously chosen, reduce the difficulty of the check by one. The important thing here is that bit inside parentheses, which is consisting of the exact combination of actions and effects previously chosen. So, for example, say we have um, a mage with an ice blast spell. It is the attack spell, the blast effect, and the ice effect. That is our signature spell. So that is a hard difficulty. Base attack spell difficulty is easy, and both blast and, and ice increase the difficulty by one. So that goes from one to three difficulty dice. Our signature spell reduces the difficulty by one to average. Say, for example, we then get our hands on a magic wand that allows us to add blast without increasing the difficulty. Well, guess what? We are casting a spell using attack, blast, and ice. So attack is a base difficulty of easy. Blast, because of our magic wand, is free and does not increase the difficulty. And then ice increases the difficulty once to average. And because we are casting a spell with the exact combination of action and effects previously chosen, we're reducing the difficulty of the check by one, so it becomes an easy check. The magic wand also increases the damage of our spells by three. So say we, instead of wand, we have a magic staff. When casting a spell, adding the first range effect added to the spell does not increase the spell's difficulty. In addition, the attack spell cast by the user increases their base damage by four. Can we add range? Sure. So you have an attack spell with blast, ice, and range. So blast and ice increase the difficulty by one each. Range does not increase the difficulty because of the staff. So the staff will allow us to add range without increasing the difficulty, at least the first range increment. However, Signature Spell says when you cast a spell consisting of the exact combination of actions and effects previously chosen, we added the range effect, so it is not the exact combination. So this is not our signature spell, so the difficulty reduction does not apply. However, if you choose to not add the range and you're just doing attack, blast, and ice as normal, that is your signature spell, so it does reduce the difficulty by one. And the staff also increases the base damage by four. Because the signature spell talent only cares about the action and effects added. 
It doesn't care about the difficulty modifiers of the spell, which I think is where a lot of people are getting hung up because they think, oh, well, the staff adds the range for free, so I should be able to add range for free to my signature spell. But the signature spell talent only cares about the effects chosen, not the difficulty increase. So adding the range effect changes everything. It's literally not the same effect selection you have chosen for your signature spell, so that difficulty reduction does not apply. So that's really how it works in a nutshell. As long as it's the same spell action and specific combination of effects, that's all that signature spell cares about. The damage increase or the uh, healing increase from the holy icon still applies regardless of anything else because that is not what signature spell cares about. The signature spell talent only cares about the combination of action and effects. So that part in parentheses is the important part to keep in mind. Anything else is just gravy. Alrighty, so continuing our exploration of the Expanded Player's Guide Part 3, we're moving on to Chapter 2, Specialization Trees. I said in the last episode that the Expanded Player's Guide feels a lot like a love letter from the devs to the community. And this section here, well, the entire Part 3 seems like a response to the community, but this chapter specifically, I believe is here because people asked about it so much. In the beginning, a lot, but even in the interim time, it crops up every now and again. And specialization trees originally came from the Star Wars role-playing game. And as I'm very fond of saying, Genesis is a revised version of the rules first shown in Star Wars. In Star Wars, you have specialization trees. In Genesis, you have the talent pyramid. And specialization trees are a different way of choosing talents. It's a very divisive issue in the community. Some people love them and want them in everything. Some people despise them and everything they stand for. I kind of fall in the middle because I see where they can be useful, but I just, I don't want to put in that much effort into things that might not be used because specialization trees have a very high upfront cost for GMs in terms of time and effort, and a very, very low payout afterwards. Unless, of course, you're publishing it and selling it on the Foundry or something, where you're going to have dozens or even hundreds of people playing with it, then yeah, specialization trees might make sense. But if you're just doing it with your home game, where you have, you know, five players, and you're going to have 18 or more specialization trees, well, only a third of them or less are being used. So uh, it seems a little too much for too little in my book. Enough babbling about that. I'm sure I'll mention it quite a few more times. Okay, so what are specialization trees? Specialization trees are a group of 20 thematically linked talents found in a, uh, in a, in a grid, four columns and five rows. And... It's not 20 unique individual talents, because if you have ranked talents, you can find several of those ranked talents in the pyramid. Um, you know, Grit, Knack for it, Toughened, all of those different talents that can appear in multiple places. All of those talents that can be taken multiple times can appear in multiple places in the same uh, talent tree. But it's a 
more specific way of purchasing talents. You start purchasing any of the top row talents for 5 XP, and then each one of those is linked to at least one uh, talent below it, and then you have this kind of path that you're following through these links, which are you know, kind of, you're kind of unlocking the ability to purchase additional talents as long as it's linked to a talent you currently have. So one of the benefits of it is that it can help reinforce setting themes and tropes. So it is a very different way of choosing talents than the talent pyramid. The talent pyramid is 100% open. Once you have the ability to buy a tier 3 talent, you can purchase any tier 3 talent available. Whereas with talent trees, you have to unlock the ability to gain specific talents, and not all talents obviously are found on every tree. It limits choice, which is not always a bad thing. For people who have problems making choices, oh yay, I have the ability to buy a tier 3 talent. Oh my gosh, there's 27 to choose from. I don't know what to choose. I'm not going to make a decision. Or they'll spend hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours pouring over each option. And is it better to get this tier 3 talent or do I want to instead get a second rank of a tier 2 talent? How do I want to play it? When you purchase a talent in a talent tree, it usually unlocks two other talent options that are available to you. So, okay, instead of having 27 to choose from, I have two. Maybe four you know, depending on how many other talents you have unlocked, but the uh, choices are much more limited. Helps avoid analysis paralysis. It also is helpful for people coming from a background of level-based games like D&D and most D20 games, because that's kind of what talent trees are, is a known progression from one to the next to the next, very similar to when you level up in those other games. But Again, it's more open because you can choose which path to take on your tree, which will allow you to open up other different talents as opposed to at level 3 all fighters get this. Uh, another nice part about it is that it allows um, GMs to limit when and where certain talents are available. So if you have a specific talent that you don't want everybody to take, well, you only put it in one or two out of your 18 available trees, and therefore only specific character types are going to be able to get it. It also allows for more powerful and thematic talents to be acquired sooner. For example, if you have a stereotypical fantasy ranger um, spec tree, you could put the animal companion talent on the second row, which costs 10 XP, as opposed to leaving it in row 3 for 15 XP, because it's kind of what that character does. So you give it to them earlier because it's reinforcing the theme of that character. Now on the flip side, when making a talent tree, you could put a talent on a higher row than it would normally be. So if a character who might have an animal companion, but it's not kind of the focus of the specialization tree, you could put it in a 20 XP slot instead of the 15 XP slot. It also allows you to potentially get higher tier talents quicker because you don't have to build up the supporting structure of the pyramid. For example, in order to get your first tier 3 talent, you need at least two tier 2 talents, which is 20 XP, and then you need three tier 1 talents, which is 15 XP. 15 plus 20 is 35, 
plus the 15 XP for your tier 3, that's 50 XP to get your first tier 3 talent. If your specialization tree has a straight line from row 1 down to row 3, in the talent pyramid they're called rows instead of tiers because tier is just a rough approximation of power, but this isn't the talent pyramid, so they use the word row instead of tier, but whatever. Um, the example uh, specialization tree on page 106 has a literal straight line from row 1 all the way down to row 4. So 5 XP gets you row 1, 10 XP gets you row 2, and then 15 XP gets you right there to that row 3, which is the equivalent of a tier 3 talent, and that is only costing you 30 XP instead of 50. And then for 20 XP more, which brings you up to 50 XP, you have a, the equivalent of a tier 1, tier 2, tier 3, and tier 4 talent. Granted, there's no guarantee that there will be a straight line from row 1 all the way down to row 4, and there's rarely going to be a straight line from row 1 to row 5, and it's almost never a straight line from row 1 to row 5 if that row 5 is like dedication or master. So um, it allows you to get higher tiered talents quicker, both by putting them lower uh, row than they normally would be, but also allows you to do straight line and doesn't require the supporting structure of the talent pyramid. And um, like I mentioned earlier, potential drawbacks include that it's a lot of time and energy to create them for the GM, and they're not all going to get used. So it's a lot of upfront costs for very little work. And the book gives two different example types of specialization trees. You have the career specializations, which is exactly what you see in Star Wars. They are linked to a specific career focus and a specific aspect of that career. On page 102, for example, soldier career specializations could represent training in different types of combat. A mechanized combat specialization could contain vehicle-related talents. A commando specialization may focus on stealth, demolitions, and close combat. An officer specialization could feature leadership and strategy-related talents. And one thing that the career specializations give is four additional career skills. And this is kind of the biggest difference between the career specs and what they call the role specs, which we'll get to in a moment, is these four additional career skills. So when you purchase a new specialization tree, if you don't already have any of those skills as career skills, they become career skills, which is great when you are making a tree that heavily focuses on specific skills. You make sure that those specific skills are those four career skills. So it makes sure that the talents that the spec tree provides are usable by that character easier because they are career skills. It, it saves on the XP cost. And it also helps alleviate the, the question that a lot of people have is how do I gain additional career skills because there aren't a lot of talents that provide them. They're all very specific and very focused. But this way, um, it's like, hey, I want to add perception, stealth, and melee to my list of career skills. Okay, I'll take the commando specialization, which gives those as career skills. Oh, and now I have access to a bunch of talents that utilize those specific skills. The book suggests that each career has three specializations, which is part of that heavy upfront cost I mentioned earlier because, oh my goodness, <laughs> coming up with three unique specializations uh, for each career is kind of a lot because the core rulebook has 
eight non-setting based careers. So just right out of the gate, they have eight generically applicable careers. That's 24 specialization trees if you just want to support the core rulebook uh, careers. That's a lot. And then if you have one or two setting specific careers, that's adding another three to six specialization trees you need to make, which is a lot. So that's kind of one of the main reasons why I don't like making them is a lot of upfront work. So beyond your career specializations, you have what are considered role specializations. This keeps the specialization trees more divorced from uh, the careers. Instead of being based around a specific uh, skill set, it's more of a, uh, the role that it plays in the party. The example that they give on page 103, uh, role specializations are not intended to replace careers. A role spec called Swindler would include talents that would help a player character con, connive, and scheme, but it wouldn't include the wide range of skills available to the scoundrel career available on page 41 of the Genesis Core rulebook. Of course, a scoundrel character would benefit from taking such a specialization. So it doesn't add additional career skills because it's less specialized. And because of this, the book recommends that you have at least one role specialization for each career. So instead of having 24 career specializations, you only have eight role specializations, which is a lot more manageable of a number. So yes, the scoundrel would make great use of the swindler specialization tree, but a healer totally could too, and that would make them more of a snake oil salesman who happens to sell and do enough actual medicinal stuff that they're not a total con artist, but you know they're, they're more likely to upsell and upcharge their wares as opposed to a scoundrel with the swindler specialization. And then they have two and a half pages of advice on how to create the trees, um, how to arrange the talents, how to choose which talents, how to figure out the pathways between them. And of course, the most important part is how much XP does it cost for these specialization trees? Well, it's 10 times the total number of specialization trees your character will have after making the purchase. So say you, ha you have a starting character with their one free specialization tree, whether it's a career or role spec, it doesn't matter. When they want to purchase their second, um, so that would be the total number they will have afterwards is two, so it's 20 experience. The third one is 30 experience points, the fourth one is 40. If you have the career specializations, it's an extra 10 XP for non-career uh, specializations. So if you start as a soldier career, but you want to purchase a talent tree in the socialite career options, then it will cost 10 additional XP because it's an out of career spec tree. So I hope I adequately explained and covered the specialization trees because we're kind of getting a little long on time. Yeah, if you have any questions about it, any of the things that we've talked about today, or I didn't cover something that you think I should have or need any clarification, be sure to let me know. Otherwise, remember, regardless of success or failure of your role, always check for excess advantage. This has been Excess Advantage. The intro and outro music is Take a Chance by Kevin Cloud from Incompetech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 license. If you like what you hear, please leave a rating or review where you find your podcast, as it helps others find us. 
If you would like to donate to help support the podcast, please visit ko-fi.com forward slash excess advantage.